Hello and welcome to another episode of uh, South Asia Chat brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. Uh, my name is Karthik Nachipan. I'm a research fellow at the Institute and I work on uh, India's approach towards global governance, focusing on issues like health, trade, technology, and climate change. Today, we have the great pleasure of uh, speaking to Dr. Vaibhav Chaturvedi, the fellow at the Council of Environment, Energy, and Water, CEEW, uh, which is a think tank, a climate-based think tank in New Delhi. Uh, Vaibhav is an economist uh, who leads the council's work on low carbon pathways, and his research focuses on energy and climate change mitigation policy issues, uh, especially those impacting in India. The Vaibhav, welcome. Before we get going, I wanted to, I mean, before we start talking about some of the recent uh, developments and, and issues on the climate change front uh, globally and within India, uh, I, I want to just get a sense from you of the progress that India has made since the uh, 2015 Paris Agreement uh, and whether the various initiatives and, and the strides made uh, since the Paris Agreement have sustained. Um, if you remember, the Paris, the Paris Agreement requires uh, all countries, members, member, uh, sorry, uh, all signatories uh, to put forward their best efforts to address climate change through um, nationally determined contributions or NDCs uh, to keep global temperature rise this century uh, below two degrees um, Celsius and to limit temperature increase even further uh, to under 1.5 degrees Celsius. So, Vaibhav, how has uh, India fared uh, on climate mitigation since Paris? Uh, first of all, thank you, Karthik, for inviting me. Very happy to be here. And hello, everyone. Uh, so on, on just your question on the progress towards Paris uh, Agreement targets, I think uh, India is doing pretty well. And it is, uh, in fact, uh, some of the research has shown that India is one of the very few countries uh, which is on track to, uh, you know, over uh, overachieve the Paris Agreement, uh, or rather the NDC targets that ND that India put forward, uh, and so so it is going pretty good. On the question of whether pandemic is going to hit it, uh, well, uh, pandemic is definitely going to hit some of the progress for the let's say next year or so. But as far as the uh, the 2030 targets are concerned, uh, it is expected that India will achieve it uh, fairly comfortably. You know. So, yes, yeah, so in that sense, in the next 10 years, we don't see the impact of uh, the pandemic on achievement of targets. It, it is always possible that India could have achieved by overachieved by 10% and it ended up overachieving by maybe 5, 6, 7%. That is possible. But still, it is going to probably overachieve in all, in all probability. Yes. So let's, let's now move towards what's been happening over the last uh, month. Uh, and, and so, so a flurry of climate events has occurred uh, over the past few weeks uh, with President Biden's Global Climate Summit. And, and even before that, uh, Secretary Kerry, who is the US government's climate envoy, um, visited India and then China after that. Uh, the US under Biden is now hoping for countries like India uh, and China leading emitters to deepen commitments on climate and decarbonization. Uh, the concept of net zero emissions has now increasingly uh, acquired and attracted much attention. So what does net zero mean? And is it a viable tool or lever 
for a country like India to achieve uh, desired climate progress? Yes. So first of all, it is great that the US is back into the game. Uh, so that was much needed. Uh, on, on the net zero debate, well, the first uh, thing to understand is what is net uh, what is the net part of it? Because it could always be a zero, you know, uh, zero GHGs or something like that. So the net part simply means that you still have an opportunity or you still have some leeway of continuing to emit in some sectors uh, while these emissions are being netted by some sort of, uh, you know, negative emission or sequestration technologies. So it could be that, let's say you are emitting five units of uh, carbon dioxide mm -hmm. and you are sequestering five units of carbon dioxide, let's say through afforestation. Or it could be through technologies like carbon capture and storage. So essentially, net net, it is zero. You know, so that is the net part of the debate. The second element is: Are we talking about net zero carbon dioxide or net net zero greenhouse gases? So the debate is is essentially about net zero greenhouse gases, right? So it is not just about CO two; it's about net zero greenhouse gases, right? The third element that I want to sort of highlight here is that net zero CO two versus net zero GHGs could have different timelines and that is very very important so so we could achieve net zero co2 let's say by 2050 and we could achieve net zero ghgs by let's say 2070 2075 whatever right so they these could have different timelines but ultimately we are talking about net zero ghgs you know something like that right now on the question of uh, uh, of is it a viable tool for india the first important thing that needs to be mentioned as is that we are talking a lot about net zero and this debate started because US and EU and then China, the biggest emitters started adopting these targets and by now I think more than 125 countries are adopted net zero. So of course it's thought of a global climate political movement, you know, that has started in that direction, right? Uh, for a fast growing economy like India, uh, the concept of peaking actually goes along with net zero. So it is not just net zero because we are not on a declining trajectory. So if you look at developed world, it's already like peaked long back, you know, it's, and it's on a declining trajectory. Uh, India is fast growing fast and emissions are increasing. So even China has talked about 2030 peak and 2060 net zero. When we know that its emissions and its GDP growth is sort of tapering off, right? Mm -hmm. But India is sort of in the phases where it is expected to grow fast for the next 20 years. The economic growth is not expected to taper in the next 20 years at least. So peaking and then declining emissions, it's sort of, you know, imagine an inverted V or inverted U kind of curve, you know, so we have to peak and then decline and achieve net zero. So that's a very important element because that has a very different kind of dynamics associated with it because you have to peak and then kind of, net, uh, you know, go towards net zero. And then uh, ultimately we do think net zero is, you know, it's a long-term target, right? Uh, there are many commentaries which kind of are saying that long-term targets are meaningless, you know, uh, because these are too, too far in the future and we should only focus on near term actions. Now, at least CW's research and our position is different. Uh, we are simply saying it's a false binary to compare short term and long term, you know, uh, long term is also extremely important uh, and it, it is of a, sort of a complementary to short term actions. It's not an alternative at all. The way it's being framed in many of the pieces that it's an alternative. We don't think it's an alternative. Saying that net zero is important in 2070 does not mean that don't act in the next 10 years. Of course, one has to act. You know, there is no disagreement on short-term actions. So extremely important. Short-term actions are very important. But if you have this longer-term target, then your short-term actions will guide you towards that target. And we sort of, uh, you know, this happy-go-lucky approach that, okay, you, you are doing very well in renew renewable, then focus on that. Then you are doing very well in electricity, electric vehicles, focus on that. 
that will obviously uh, you know reduce to emission reduce emissions but it is probably not going to take us the pace that is required for a world that is you know at least where we have managed to minimize climate impacts it will nowhere you know it will not really take us anywhere close to that kind of world so that is why this long term target is important and the the final point uh, i want to make on this uh, uh, sort of kind of net zero debate is that uh, for uh, you know the the concept of equity and differentiation mm-hmm. is also uh, kind of very important net zero does not mean every country has to race and finish that line you know cross that line by 2050 not at all uh, every country needs to think about its own net zero paradigm you know its own and a lot of analysis of course has to in stakeholder engagement you know has to go uh, in in this sort of net zero debate but yes ultimately it has to be some sort of bottom up understanding coming from countries which will uh, give them the confidence that it is a viable tool for me it is not just something you know that i am doing because of international pressure that's very important right uh, and uh, uh, yeah so within that framing is where net zero has to be thought about and net zero is also uh, a sort of leg up compared to deep decarbonization because the decarbonization debate is not new right but what happened with deep decarbonization is deep decarbonization is too fuzzy you could define it in your own way you know and you could so basically it is deep decarbonization was something that kept everybody happy right so india could say that i am reducing my emission intensity of gdp so i am moving towards deep decarbonization even though your actual absolute emissions continue to rise right so deep decarbonization had that sort of ambiguity around around it which always obviously when it is ambiguous it will make everybody happy you know whoever does not want to move very fast it will make you happy right net zero sort of takes away that ambiguity and that is why it is making many uh countries you know sit up and take notice wherever it is sort of very challenging to achieve net zero or people have not thought about you know that sort of uh formulation of deep decarbonization right net zero is also formulation of deep decarbonization right so wherever countries have till now thought only about this fuzzy and ambiguous definition of deep decarbonization they have not really thought about this formulation it is sort of making us a bit uncomfortable you know because it is very challenging net zero even if you are able to sequester let's say some part through forest ccs is right now totally unproven technology so in this sort of setup moving towards a net zero target does make us uncomfortable especially the fast growing economies it will not make us and eu uncomfortable or china uncomfortable right it will definitely make india uncomfortable right so that is these are very many different aspects related to you know net zero uh, net zero debate and how india looks at it uh, and um, yeah happy to answer any follow up questions on this uh just picking up on your point on india being uncomfortable do you think is that because of the politics tied to committing toward a net zero goal or is that related to the fact that it's difficult to acquire these technologies that india can then use for these um purposes or or are both kind of part of the debate here yeah yeah so i think the discomfort arises from a kind of lack of understanding of what it takes mm. right so because in india nobody has sort of done this kind of analysis till now uh, that what it takes and cw has been the first one to at least put out something you know post 2050 that what will it take uh, and ultimately see it's always the the decision making process in any country let's say especially i'll talk about india uh it will be that line ministries will think about it let's say mm-hmm. right for example i'll just give you an example net zero whenever it happens 2050 or 2070 right it means first thing your size of the electricity system is much larger than your sort of reference scenario 
right? Just because electrification of the end use sector is a, is a very important strategy. So our estimates say that the size could increase maybe by, you know, 50, 60, 70%. And it's a huge number, right? So first of all, the Ministry of Power has to think, right, that I was going at this trajectory. Now my trajectory of electrification has to be sort, sort of, you know, at least uh, uh, in the long term, it has to go at least one and a half times, right? So they have to say, yes, I will be able to do it. Now, MNRE, Ministry of New and Renewable Energy, has to say that, okay, as our research shows, if CCS is not successful, because as of now, it is unproven. So non-hydro-renewable energy have to go beyond 80%, you know, in the electricity generation, not the capacity generation, right? Whatever be the net zero year, right? Now, if it goes to 80% in an electricity system, which is, you know, one and a half times of what was expected in 2050, Right. So now MNRE has to say whether we will be able to deliver it, right? So, so now these are very big questions, right? And all of these questions, ultimately, people have to think about it. So that process, now net zero debate, I, I really like one aspect of it. It has forced many of us to think about it. Because still now people were happy in this larger, as I said, fuzzy deep decarbonization debate, right? where everybody was doing analysis. Now net zero has forced people to explore. And we have put these four alternative scenarios. Uh, and we are also obviously... First, what we published was an issue brief just to inform the debate. But now we are publishing a more of a detailed paper in terms of looking at different sectors and all those things. Ultimately, what the objective is, there should be informed analysis. And people who have to make these and implement these decisions have to ultimately say, I will be able to do it. Right? It could be manufacturing. It's not just about government of India ministries. It's also about, you know, maybe manufacturing industry guys. They have to say, I will have to electrify my industry in the next 40 years. So of course, the good part is you give them a sense of time. You're not saying do it in 10 years. And that is a very important part about net zero. It's a very strong policy signal. The long-term certainty is always very important, especially from the investor perspective, right? So you tell them, you don't tell them do it in 20 years, but you tell them 40 years from now or 50 years from now, this is what the, what the future we envisage. And you have to be aligned with that future, right? Mm -hmm. So the then the these industry guys, because these are very important stakeholders, right? And the government listens to them. Then they will tell us, they will do their own analysis of their own set of industries, you know, for maybe uh, industries like automobile, it might be easier because these are anyways based on electricity, most of these, you know, but for maybe steel industries, cement industries, it would be obviously much more challenging. These are hard to bait sectors. So they have to tell, well, I will figure out, I will figure it out. You know, it could be electricity-based process. It could be whatever hydrogen. I will figure it out. And they have mm -hmm. to give this confidence to the government. You know, so this is how the process works. So, and this is what it will take. The discomfort, as I said, is only because not, not, none of that has happened. Mm -hmm. The discomfort will never be about the political pressure at all. It is just, well, how can I say something when I don't have any understanding of that? You know, so I think what is very good that this process has started. You know, now various ministries have been engaging with us to really understand, you know, that what does it mean, what it takes. And these kind of process, maybe they don't end up happening in six months, you know, it takes time. Because all of these other countries, I'm sure they would have taken one, one and a half, two years, looked at this question in, in a much more sort of analytical way mm -hmm. and build some sort of consensus around it. Only then they would have announced, right? Now the same process will happen in India also. Some It is not just about, you know, CW doing its research. Ultimately, it's about consensus building. And once that happens, then I'm very sure India will be able to go ahead and say anything. But that needs to happen. That's very, very important part of it. You know, that needs to happen. Right. And there are many, many questions. I'll talk about it maybe in the next few segments. I'll talk about.
some of the challenges that we see. I, as, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the fact that net zero and these recent developments really compel us to think deeply about mitigation, climate mitigation, but not enough yes. about adaptation, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, how do we get the ball moving on that? Because, I mean, we have to think about issues like planning, designing new cities, um, yes. new forms of transit, um, creating new parks. Uh, so there are a lot of different elements associated with the adaptation side yes. that either might not get enough attention or could be uh, in some way submerged under the, the, the discussions right now. Is it possible to keep it keep our focus on both ends or does adaptation suffer at the expense of mitigation? Well, yes, you are right. Generally speaking, adaptation does suffer at the expense of mitigation. It does, generally speaking. But many countries like India and who, whichever country is going to be sort of impacted in a big way and also does not have the resources. You know, because impact will happen everywhere. It will be whether it's India or China, US, but richer countries will always have much more resources to deal with the impact and uh, lower income countries will not have that kind of resource. That's why it's a much bigger deal for us, you know, the adaptation debate. So yes, it is a very important part of the debate, but the way the net zero has been framed, of course, it is a very mitigation centric debate, right? And even the net zero framing does not say that don't look at adaptation. It simply says, well, adaptation is not a part of this framing. But continue to look at adaptation, you know, it, it does not say anything about actually does not comment at all on adaptation. So adaptation is an important thing. Uh, the the larger uh, one thing that is which is sort of very obvious is also the, the earlier you achieve net zero, it is much better for climate impacts and adaptation, isn't it? That is also obvious, right? So in that, if we say that world will achieve net zero by 2100, intuitively, it's very clear to us, it is very bad scenario for climate impacts and adaptation. Right. So if you are able to achieve a much more sooner date or at least minimize the cumulative emissions. So some countries achieve in 2040, some in 2050, some in 2670 you know, or so on. You are at least trying your best to harness whatever opportunities are there and minimize the impact of uh, cumulative emissions, which is going to minimize the adaptation needs also. So that is also very clear. But yes, your larger point is very valid. The net zero debate does not comment anything about adaptation and we should not sort of forget about adaptation at all. It's also a very important part of the debate. Uh, you argued in a recent op-ed in the Hindu that India should inject, uh, and I quote here, equity, differentiation, and justice into net zero debates. Now, equity and justice have been part of India's climate persona since the first uh, FCCC talks in 1992. But since then, India has also become more pragmatic in its climate uh, uh, climate diplomacy and how it approaches climate change uh, at various global um, fora. So how should it do this now? And is the NDC a pathway to inject equity, justice, and differentiation? Yeah, yeah. So, so the, uh, one thing that you said is, is definitely important that India has become much more practical which is great, I think, right? And uh, and that is exactly why India is also engaging or started engaging in the net zero debate, right? But of course, if you look at the sort of uh, perspectives from civil society coming from India, you would see variety of perspectives, right? So many people would be saying that, you know, 
uh, this is unjust and even thinking about net zero is unjust because developed countries are not doing anything not paying for it no tech transfer that sort of narrative still holds because there will always be a section of sort of environmental stakeholders in india who will continue on that path uh, thankfully i think uh, government of india is increasingly becoming practical about it you know uh, and uh, so so yeah so that is one, one thing on the question of ndc uh, well ndc was the bottom of formulation because the world realized that you know top down formulation it does not work and copenhagen was in a spectacular failure in that regard just because of this pressure tactics went overboard you know if there is one uh, one uh, sort of approach to pressurize through narratives and all there is another approach to say that you have to sign on this and this is what i say you have to sign on this you know something like that that went overboard so it failed failed you know terribly uh, so clearly we are in, in a regime where everything will happen through a bottom up formulation you know be it ndc or be it net zero right so ndc in that way when it is anyways bottom up right so there was no que- question of inequity so to speak so it's like india has decided whatever it wants to do right mm-hmm. so anyway so you are given this choice based on your own national circumstances which is very important as a principle right? so that was perfect now in the net zero debate also the i think the issue has been because of this uh, sort of thing about net zero by 2050 and that is confused because the debate on net zero whether net zero is important is different from saying net zero by 2050 for all these are two a very different thing and the debate has got confused because everybody is talking about net zero by 2050 which is definitely inequitable you know which is inequitable and it is sort of top down both both of the things which sort of failed right uh, but if you just say well net zero is important every country has to think about it should think about it analyze do you know create consensus whatever it needs to do but net zero is important ultimately and figure out a way that uh, whenever you want to you know and practically and reasonably whenever you think you should you will be able to achieve net zero please you know present that date as well as some sort of road map you know around it something like that now the moment that sort of thing happens it again becomes a bottom up formulation where countries are themselves doing it so then this debate of equity will go away the why we are saying about equity and differentiation is only because of this that suddenly everybody is from the global point of view saying 2050 uh, is the date everybody should agree you know and then 2050 is of course it is unjust and it is inequitable so and that's why the moment you start introducing e- equity and justice in that debate you will end up having a sort of a bottom up approach which is based on national circumstances and capabilities which are very important principles right so yes uh, that is what we are saying that introduce these terms but ultimately it will have to be some sort of bottom up formulation uh, but uh, yeah so net zero is very important net zero by 2050 is what we are questioning right mm-hmm. 2050 for all right yeah um so it, invariably in most conversations about india's climate approach um we have to talk about coal uh and since coal is such a big part of india's energy matrix and will be at least for the next generation can india transition away from coal in the next 30 40 years it will entail a fundamental shift in policies economics technology social structures you know that that have made coal central to india's energy balance so um, how is coal going to feature here yes coal is going to be the most critical part of the net zero debate mm-hmm. right uh and uh, as i said ultimately when when i say you know um, one needs to analyze and all the line ministries all the decision makers need to analyze what it will take 
uh, one of the most important question is that well what do we do with uh, you know it is not just about increasing electricity uh, supply or share of renewable energy it the equally important question is what do you do with all the uh, people who are dependent on coal you know so it's about uh, india's let's say few, some states especially uh, in the eastern part which are dependent on coal uh, in terms of uh, you know employment generation for millions of people as well as their own fiscal resources you know which are sort of derived from this fossil source right so what do you do with these states what do you do with half a million you know coal workers and uh, it's always easy to say these will they like these, these these are going to be compensated by solar jobs which could be right but well maybe it's not that these people will start working on solar right because these the coal miners are sort of completely unskilled labor right uh, solar will require a lot of at least some amount of training it is a more much more technical category right so we don't expect certainly these people start working on solar so those are those are the hard choices right Uh, so there are many such hard choices and coal is a very hard choice uh, that is going to come up for india so ultimately the decision i think of course economics is very important uh, but economics is anyways in the electricity sector at least it is sort of you know uh, coming in favor of solar energy at least in a big way right it is definitely moving sl- uh, slowly moving away from coal so many states which are further away from mines it has already be- started becoming much more expensive because coal transportation is extremely expensive so whichever is uh, whichever state is far from the mines or any coal power plant they are anyways making a decision not to invest in coal which is nothing to do with the climate debate it just makes economic sense and right? not to invest in coal in those those states because power is going to be very expensive uh, now places that are closer to the mines they already have a lot of coal based capacity right which means bad situation in terms of air pollution uh, but air pollution has been neglected for long right even though there has been policy now it has been neglected for long but the second thing which cannot be neglected and which is actually where uh, companies are facing a hard sort of wall is water scarcity mm-hmm. right uh, and it was it's very interesting to me i was speaking at a ntpc conference i think uh, more than a, like I, i almost a couple of years back now and one of the senior ntpc functionaries stood up and say said uh, and i was talking about water energy nexus and what it means for coal power plants in india the future of coal power plants and the ntpc senior i think person said that 20 years back whenever we chose a location for ntpc power plant we never thought about water you know it was like not even a variable and now there is sort of one of the most important variables i need to think about you know in terms of coal power location now that has got nothing to do with climate right but it only makes it much more difficult to have coal power plants closer to mines you know and air pollution is also increasing the debate so there are many reasons why coal is going to be hit hard uh, right and which is good from the climate perspective but ultimately uh, these states and decision makers have to think about what do we do with coal india limited you know it's a it's a public sector behemoth what do you do with it and these fiscal resources for these states millions of coal sector jobs the labor unions will always be there you know coal power plants are there they will probably continue to be operated you know and all the new investments that you have made in 2020 they are expected to be there till 2060 you know the technical life at least 40 45 years so at some point you need to deal with it and understanding what it takes is not just about thinking about the pace of expansion of solar energy it is also about what you do with coal and it's a very big question in front of us um so we've talked about the state at the central level the different agencies the ministries um we've talked about the 
firms and how they're going to move toward a uh, decarbonized future. What about the developments at the subnational level? Um, how can states also be part of this conversation moving forward towards net zero? Yes, yeah. So um, you're right, most of the debate, be it decarbonization, be it net zero, happens at the sort of you know federal level, the central government level in India. Uh, and it's each of the states would have its own uh, you know, sort of environment department. But the, the challenge with environmental debate in India is what within CW, we call it, it's a debate at the margins, you know, uh, and we have to mainstream it. And, and let me give you an example. If we, let's say, look at uh, uh, the speeches made by, let's say, the European Central Bank chief, mm-hmm. right? Almost every speech will have some reference to, you know, net zero or decarbonization or climate. Every speech, right? The finance ministers talk about it. So ultimately, people who are making these macroeconomic decisions, uh, this climate has become a very important variable in places like uh, like European Union. And now it, it should be there in the US also with this Biden administration. In India, if you look at the you know comments made by finance minister or chief economic advisor, where climate and decarbonization never figures anywhere. Now, that's a very high-level indicator for us to tell whether the debate is sort of mainstream or, or, or at the margins. So what happens is whenever as a group of sort of, uh, you know, uh, environmentalist or climate-related think tanks, energy people in a room, we keep on talking about as if it's the most important issue. Well, it is the most important issue. I have no disagreement with that. The reality is that the people in the mainstream, uh, they definitely don't think so, Right. So somehow uh, this has to be mainstreamed, even at the central level, right? And the same is reflected at the state level, right? Mm -hmm. All these departments are there. If you look at their state action plans on climate change across states, they will largely be sort of, you know, copy paste of each other. And you will see very similar themes, themes like renewable energy should grow. Those kind of themes, you know, they will be there. So now this tells us that this is actually the state of, uh, you know, the climate debate in India. At the central level, it is increasingly getting important, and that's what net zero will do. The moment you will sort of you understand net zero, and let's say you accept it at the central level, right? After, of course, the consensus building, that will force everybody to, uh, you know, realize that well, this is happening, because deep decarbonization is too too fuzzy. Now, the moment net zero is adopted, everybody will sort of you know wake up, and start moving in that direction in a much more coordinated way. Right. Mm -hmm. And in that process, of course, states have a very important role because ultimately all these things like, you know, renewable energy. Well, clearly, states have a very important role to play in this debate on coal. Some of the states which are coal dependent have an extremely important role to play. So, of course, states have a very important role to play. But uh, the larger framing, which we think will be very successful, is going to be, you know, jobs, growth and sustainability. It is not going to be climate alone. You know, at the moment we make this debate a sort of environmentalist debate, we lose the audience, right? So we are increasingly making an effort that, well, it is not just about, you know, climate or environment. It is, it is about, you know, your economic growth. It is about development. It is about jobs, right? So that has to be the framing. Uh, because traditionally, uh, India, the framing that India has adopted, uh, and, and I think many countries have adopted, it's just the co-benefit framing, right? The co-benefit framing has been useful, right? When I've sort of reflect and I and you know I have written many papers which have co-benefits in it as a title or wherever in the content. Now when I sort of reflect on it, you know, uh, I do think this is one of the framings that probably has not really been successful at all. You know, uh, climate people have loved that framing, 
but it's not that any of the decision makers be it in eu or in india they have started adopting electric cars because of air pollution you know manufacturers have started you know investing in electric vehicle assembly lines because of air pollution or consumers have started buying it has never happened like that you know so co benefit framing has been there on paper everybody has loved it like tons of literature it is one of the core framing in the ipcc assessment reports i think it has never never been not really been successful at all so we need to go beyond the co benefit framing and what could be successful is this you know at least jobs and development sort of framing because that has clearly made people think about it so the solar revolution in india is not at all because we want to reduce air pollution it has been because we want to create a solar manufacturing industry in india right which is about economic growth development and jobs so that is what pushes decision makers especially in the developing countries because we want economic growth we want development we want energy access you know so so those are the things so that's why this framing has to change and ultimately this framing has to be adopted by at the state level also at the moment state start seeing that coal going away from coal uh, is not a threat for me there's an equally an economic opportunity in the transition which i could leverage so it will make it much more easier for state level stakeholders to accept that will net zero is something maybe we should move towards it you know something like that in absence of that i don't think uh, you know current way or the way we are thinking currently that it's a lose lose debate for us and co benefits you know fuzzy co benefits on paper then i don't think it is going to change anything yeah. uh my my last question and and i want to go back to the to the recently concluded um global climate summit uh where a key outcome for india was the unveiling of a partnership between the united states and india uh, to expand renewable energy uh, or 450 gigawatts worth of renewable power uh, to meet 2030 targets uh, for climate action i'm i'm guessing this deal was what was most palatable and acceptable at this stage what is your take on this partnership and this outcome and do you think we could see more from the indian government ahead of the glasgow climate conference in november yeah yeah so on the first question about the deal itself i think it's a it's a very positive development that's why i'll put it so we uh, okay so one thing is to think about these long term pathways right like what what will be what will need to be the state of the future those kind of pathways you know if you want to achieve net zero so across sectors and all then the second thing comes uh, is well thinking about the solution space and that is absolutely critical solution space in the near term what all do you need to do right so one of the most important elements of the solution space is finance right mm-hmm. and the second is technology availability right uh, so we have been talk developing country and especially india have like an amazing opportunity on potential for growth of solar and of many of these things See, the amount that we need in, and ultimately what what is it mean it mean it means that we need investments right and investment does not mean right now also investments are happening but these are too costly the cost of finance is too high and we have highlighted this many times through our research right uh, so what we found i think 3 years back that the cost of finance in the cost of solar based electricity was 70% 70% it is it is huge for india just because investors saw this is a very risky sector right? for variety of reasons essentially it was risk premium that was reflected in this sort of very high cost of capital right uh, and uh, what we have realized of course it has come down because the government of india has done some very smart things it is so re- it is not just about reverse auction which is very important intervention but things like you create 
you know dedicated infrastructure to just uh, you know evacuate now these are very important intervention on the ground which are essentially reducing the risk for investors that you know that you, you know you will produce solar it will also be evacuated and you will also be paid for it because of the must fund status now these are intervention policy intervention that essentially reduce the risk for investors right but ultimately it is capital low cost capital has to come and india does not have that kind of capital right uh, so ultimately ultimately it has to come from uh, you know private sector be it indian or be it foreign private sector so of course indian private sector will also be limited you know so there is a huge opportunity for foreign investors who has to which have to come to india um, but they are simply not coming because in their head it is a much more riskier riskier sort of proposition right so it could be a us investor or it could be a sort of a sovereign wealth fund you know they have to invest in india uh, and low cost it cannot be a higher risk high cost of capital again because that again then what are we changing you know so hopefully this uh, sort of deal uh, a very important element is to think about uh, investments and finance right and and ultimately see we are not asking at least what cw is arguing that we don't need grants you see we have gotten into this debate of this green climate fund this 100 billion every year sort of green climate fund now that has not materialized in the last 10 years right we don't expect it to materialize even if it materializes 100 billion for the world is nothing you know we are not talking about like india only we are talking about world we are talking about africa south american countries and all those countries right 100 billion is nothing and we are not talking about grants because grants probably never help we are saying do create smart instruments you know sensible instruments where at least uh, you are able to take off the risk part of it cover the risk of it you know so private investors come with comes with the capital but government uh, somehow and i am talking about developed countries the developed countries governments which have money don't give it this 100 billion grant of course give some part of it to grant wherever it is needed but use a lot of this money to kind of either pool it in through uh, uh, for taking care of the risk element of the capital so that low cost capital is available so you have to think about this sort of solution space mm-hmm. uh, and we hope that uh, through this deal you know these kind of things start emerging mm-hmm. right so this is only one example second is core development of technology that te- technology debate is always you know technology is innovated and then patent becomes an issue uh, in a big way uh so now that has to you know somehow needs to be addressed to core development you know uh, because other, otherwise we will again go back to the same thing you know india will continue to say that this technology is it's never that technology is not available it is always that the technology is available but it is very expensive so that is what patent means you know it is an expensive technology for us though the technology is available so india has to uh, somehow you know address these sort of issues and the world has to help india uh and and this is the way it has to help india not through grants but think about actually workable solution you know not like principled solutions which a grant is a very principled solution that you are you created the problem you are responsible for historical emissions you pay for mitigation in our country so it's a very principled stance mm. uh, i think it's time for us to stop thinking about these sort of principled arguments and we need to be much more practical and this is practice thinking about these kind of solution is what is much more practical uh right yeah so, so yeah so those are the elements that's why we think it's very important now the glasgow question again i mean uh, uh, they so what could be the announcement i we don't expect net zero announcement to happen if it happens well it will be great but again as i said there is a process that needs to be followed that the government of india will follow mm-hmm. to understand you know uh, if it was sectoral sector specific target and if it was domestic target like 450 gigawatts of renewable energy 
that one can always say because it's not an international commitment plus also it is sector specific and you have actually done some analysis that what does 450 gigawatt mean now even 450 gigawatt is challenging just because growth has come down because of pan- not just pandemic even before that so right mm-hmm. so when growth come down demand comes down so now absorbing 450 gigawatt is much more challenging than when it was announced right so that is also the reality but the point is at least when you announced you have done you had done this some sort of you know assessment that whether it's possible or not right net zero is about cross sector it's about the whole economy your homework has to be much more solid and ultimately it has to be an international commitment so it is sort of 10 times has to be 10 times more solid right so that that takes time you know mm-hmm. all that homework take times and there are many elements in terms of feasibility of net zero it is about the rate of gdp growth because you have to overpower that that's overpowering for a growing economy uh, then it is about your per capita income which gives us some sense of resources available to a country you know comparatively that lower per capita income means you have lower sense of resources then it's about the gap between peaking and net zero years because systems don't transition overnight in 10 years you don't expect the whole economy to transition right so there is some sort of gap between peaking year and, and net zero year then there is political economy of the transition which is essentially things like you have to do a massive reform in your power generation sector massive pricing reforms uh, you have to think about coal india limited ongc millions of coal workers you have to think about revenue for railways railway is a big you know very big enterprise a lot of revenues come from coal hauling coal mm-hmm. goes out its revenues goes out so now these are the political economy choices uh, and ulti- stranded assets you know another very important thing and ultimately impacts on you know climate change in the sense your cumulative emissions now all of these are elements that you have to sort of you know balance somehow you have to make a very hard assessment to understand all of these so uh, yeah so ultimately any announcement on net zero will have to come after this sort of assessment and 6 months is probably you know it could have always happened but it's probably too too tight for us to assume this sort of thing mm-hmm. let's see oh, yeah one could do a sectoral target uh, even what would be very good is some sort of enhancement of ndcs mm-hmm. even that will be also a leg up it might not be a net zero longer term target it could be just because there is clearly room for enhancing your ndc that could be done there is enough, enough analysis to show it now so that is something that is possible uh and uh, but th- let's see what happens yes uh we are engaged into the debate so we are also learning and we are informing at the same time but let's see what happens yeah great well we shall all find out very soon um vibhav thank you so much for joining us thank you kartik it was a great conversation i look forward to continued engagement between us thank you you have been listening to south asia chat a podcast brought to you by the institute of south asian studies at the national university of singapore to learn more about our work you can visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg and also follow us on twitter facebook and linkedin